0: <laughs> it's my early morning voice. welcome to the Fun and sobriety podcast. I'm your host Dylan, and I am an alcoholic um, I guess it's not uh <laughs> it feels like a very long time since I sat down to have a solo discussion on here a discussion a solo episode uh, but i suppose if if you're Listening to this with any regularity, it doesn't seem like a long time to you. I'm, I'm recording a handful of these in advance, um, or I have been, because uh, I have a big event coming in early September, and it's taking up, or I anticipate it taking up, all of my uh, emotional b- bound- bandwidth and uh, whatever. I don't want to, I don't want to try and focus on too many things, um, or you know, I guess the antithesis being. Trying to focus on too many things mean I wouldn't focus on any. Um, point being, it's been a few weeks since I've sat down to ruminate over my thoughts. Uh, and honestly, I'm not sure if I will replace my birthday episode with today's episode. Since I recorded my birthday episode so far in advance, I don't remember what it's about. And there's no way I'm going back to re-listen to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Anybody who's been listening, and I really, uh, especially those of you who've reached out, and um, cause I have had a handful of people um, reach out to me on Facebook, and, you know, just with random mm, personal information. Uh, and I suppose part of why I wanted to talk this morning um, was in response to um, a couple different people have reached out to me um, for help with how to deal with someone they know or that they think, well, no, don't know. I mean, someone in their life who's an alcoholic, I guess, is the, the way to say it without spending too much time hemming and hawing about it. There will be a lot of hemming and hawing this morning, as you can tell from my early morning voice. This is just the beginning of my day of talking, and I'm going to spend all day talking. <coughs> But I just wanted, you know, I figured a couple people had reached out to me like that uh, to ask, you know, hey, I'm concerned about so-and-so. So so I figured maybe I should just talk about this. Um, Because the answer is the same. I mean, I I very much, I I love it when people come to me. I mean, not because I feel like I'm some kind of wealth of advice, but just because I want to be able to help people or I want to be there if someone reaches out, I guess. And, uh, um, there's a, uh, an act of vulnerability contained in in reaching out, even if you're reaching out in, you know, to help someone else or, or with someone else in mind or, or whatever, you know, anytime you ask for help, there's, there's a, there's a measure of vulnerability contained in that. And, you know, that's, probably why it's such a stereotypical not a dude thing to do but um set that aside i i you know to me being vulnerable trusting that it's going to be okay to be vulnerable is very strong you know i mean i I guess that's something i learned in recovery I, i i mark it as a recovery thing um mainly cause I don't remember ever feeling that way or, or, or thinking about it to any extent before I was in recovery, which I don't know, maybe I did. I, I and I just didn't care about it. Um, point is, you know, it, it, it takes a, it takes a lot of guts to reach out for help. Um, even if you're just like saying, Hey, I got a friend or, you know, I got a, I got a partner and I don't know what to do. Um, so anyway I you know to honor that I, I I wanted to talk about it here um and definitely not to discourage people from doing that in the future but just so that I'm on I don't know public record right now of what my answer is probably going to be because you know the answer is is you can't you you cannot help someone um The only thing you can do, I I guess that's too broad. I mean, you can't, you're not gonna be able to fix someone. You're not gonna be able to, to, I don't know, do the right collection of words combined with actions that's gonna make some influence that will necessarily lead them down the right path, right? Like, I mean, interventions happen and there's, I guess there's TV programs about it or there were, uh, you know, just to, well, I'm, Cynically, I could say to, you know, cash in on it, but I'm I'm fairly confident that's not what the motivations were for that program. It was just to show people, not unlike what I'm doing here, I guess, just with actual budget and an actual audience. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you can do something like that, but that's not going to fix someone. You can, you can yell at people. You can give them, you know, ultimatums. You can do anything you want. You can offer them love. You can enable them. You can provide them with an environment that will satisfy every one of their creature needs, as far as you can you can identify and they can articulate. I mean, you can do it. You can do. You can you can twist your life up all you want to try and help someone you're concerned about. You know, and this is just all aspects of life, but specifically people who are having <clears throat> people who struggle with with. With drugs and alcohol, same with depression, I suppose. But I'm not going to talk about how do you enable someone with depression, just because that that feels rude. Um, mainly because I don't I don't have I don't have personal experience with it, so I don't want to. I don't I don't know why I'm going down that tangent. You know, if if you're find yourself thinking, man this this person in my life obviously has a drinking problem and it looks like they're they're falling apart or or on the verge of falling apart and i really want to help them and i i don't know what to do um you know i mean that's a that is a wonderful thought and and it's presumably coming from the coming from the right place meaning it's it's coming from a place of love and concern and not you know some kind of you know i guess that's you know if you got to check yourself if if you're doing it because you want to look good to to save someone or or i don't know take control of them you know that, I, I don't think i need to tell you that that's not probably a good thing to do but even if you're or or if you are just genuinely worried about someone that you love or care about or who is even just a a, a um an acquaintance that you, you find yourself drawn to, I guess. I mean if you're concerned about them the only thing you can really do is, is be honest with them, you know, and and maintain your own boundaries. There's nothing to be gained by trying to co opt any of their chaos. Yeah, I mean I, I I'm a codependent, so my instinct is to try, especially if it's someone I care about, my instinct is to try and co-opt the chaos with this, I don't know, obscure sense that I'm going to, my, my resolve is going to, um, somehow bleed over to them. If I co-opt their madness, I can, I can tamp it down and, and whatever you know i can i could put out their fire and then somehow psychically provide them with the resolve and the calm that, that that i feel like i have right like all of it is just weird fantasy from the go and it i I've, I'm, you know, i i you know it would drive me mad to try and think about why deep down i i'm trying that right like i don't i don't i don't know the underlying psychological reasoning for why i would be codependent i just know that I am. I have suspicions it has to deal with abandonment issues and, and you know my deeper relationships with my parents and my my mother specifically, right? But who cares? If you know there's there's nothing I can do to help someone else other than give them love, right? Give them the support that they will need to find their own way. <clears throat> You know, support they they will need to get their own uh, legs under them on their own because it doesn't matter how much we as outsiders for people who we love uh, try and how much, you know, infrastructure we try and build around them, you know, emotional infrastructure, uh, uh, even, you know, creature, you know, physical infrastructure. It doesn't, we can provide everything, you know, That we feel they should need to be, you know, quote unquote, okay. But if they're not putting their own legs under them and standing up on their own, it's not going to matter, right? Like, there's no amount of support that we can provide other people that's going to keep them upright. So, the answer you know, it's been consistently when people come to me with these types of questions and concerns is is always, you know, maintain your own boundary and, you know, identify within yourself just how much you're willing to, uh, put your own emotions at risk, your own sense of spiritual calm and resolve at, at risk of being upset by this person's madness. You know, you know, be clear with that inside yourself. Um, and, and then maintain that, right? Like hopefully by, you know, what I'm trying to say there is, you know, don't, don't go past your own personal, what you can personally affect. And if, if you don't have a rational sense of that, then I, I don't know what to say. You, you go ahead and skip off into the madness with the other person and see what happens. But presuming that you're coming at this from a, a fairly secure spot in yourself, meaning, you know, you have your own legs under you, you have your own shit together, I guess, you know, playing off the birthday podcast or having your shit together. Um, you know, don't, don't, don't compromise that. And, but also at the same time, give them your love, right? I mean, if they need emotional support, then give it to them. Meaning, you know, if, 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 I mean, a lot of people, most people I would guess who really fall into addiction, they're having a hard time loving themselves, you know, and, and whether they are conscious of that, it, it kind of just underlies everything and you can give them that love. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to break your own, you don't have to compromise your own, your own boundaries, but. You know, you can let them know that you care about them as a person. You care about them, you know, as whatever partner, whatever extent your relationship is with the person. I, you know that that's in part of loving them is allowing them to figure this out on their own. You know, I mean, the obvious things: if they're drug addicts, don't don't give them money. Don't give them creature. Uh, you know, don't give them things they can go exchange for money and in, and in, in drugs or whatever. I mean, those are fairly obvious I mean I I don't I would assume that someone would know not to keep enabling somebody I mean that's the the key if 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 your question is how do I help this person and then your first thought is to just go enable everything about them stop doing that um but the 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 rough thing to hear is that you got to also let them fall right like you you can't buffer you can't, you can't throw a uh, a mattress down so that when they hit rock bottom, it doesn't hurt so bad. There's nothing, there's, again, there is nothing you can do. And honestly, if you continue or, or well, I don't know, if you, if you, if you try to, to, to get in there and, and that's, that's kind of what I mean by co-op their madness. If you try to get in there and absorb some of that for them to help make it less severe or less drastic or the impact uh, consequences, less impactful, You know, I I trust that's coming from a a a kind place, a place of love, but it's not really doing that person, the addict, a service. So, just you gotta let them go. You gotta say, "Hey, I love you. Watching you eat yourself alive is tearing me apart, and I can't do it." And so, you know, maintain your own boundary and say, "Hey, I can't." I can't do this. I I'm here for you when you need, you know, when you need, I'm here for you when you, you've tried to, to do this for yourself. Um, I don't know. I I feel like everybody I've talked to who's come to me asking these questions. I, I, I felt like they already understood that was the answer. They just needed to hear it from somebody. And so that's part of why I'm saying it into this microphone right now. It's, If you need to hear that in order to feel like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, 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 am human too. Like I want to check in with other people and be like, is this, is this feeling I'm having? Is this, 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 uh, approach that I'm considering, is this right? You know, I mean, even if I know it's right or it seems 99% right and it feels better to have somebody check in and go, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the right way to go about this. That's what I'm saying here. You know, let them go you got to trust that they're going to figure their own shit out and you have to be willing to let that um you got you got to be willing to let them die i mean maybe it's that's hyperbolic maybe it's just um, um exaggeration or maybe it's genuinely a concern for the person that you're thinking about regardless if if the person is in a state that their life is genuinely in danger, I mean, obviously, if it's something specific, don't let them just go walk into traffic or shoot up a bunch of smack right in front of you or, or whatever. I mean, but you got to be willing to let them go make the mistakes that may lead them down a path where they die, right? I mean, if they're on that path and you try and hold them back, It's like the final destination thesis, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to, you're just going to change the format in which they die. You're not going to keep them from dying. And I guess, you know, giving them the love and the support so that they are aware that there's an alternative, that there's actual people who care for them. There's an actual environment that isn't emptiness and sorrow and and whatever the gross feeling is going on inside of them that they're they're trying to avoid you know giving them the awareness of that right like that's that's what i mean by just offering them your love and with boundaries that will go far far further in their psyche than you know locking them in a room and telling them you know they need to get dry and you know forcing them through it right i mean you can I guess you could do that if you wanted to set up a dungeon that housed people for, you know, three months or so. Um, I'm not encouraging you to do that, but I suppose if that was your approach and you wanted to hold their hands for the next three months after you let them out. So, you know, you get the six month dungeon (laughs) clean approach. That's a weird thing to even, I don't know where that came from. Um, but yeah, if you if you tell them, if you let them know, if they you give them the awareness that you're there and that there is a support network for them when they want to grab onto it, even if it's just you know you as as a friend, that will go a long way. When they're when they're lying in a pile of their own vomit, wishing for something better, they'll remember that. they they won't They won't remember being yelled at. They won't remember being given ultimatums and and. They won't remember. I don't know if you're even if you're. You know, the tough one is spouses, and the tough one is you know parents of children. I mean, they're not going to remember all of the the basically guilt trips, right? Like most interactions like that with people that you're so close to, kind of boil down to feeling like guilt trips, even if they don't feel like it when you're when you're laying them on someone, even if you're just offering them your sense of love, it still feels like a guilt trip on the other end, if you know. If, you know I i know I, I couldn't hear my loved ones saying anything to me as being genuine you know i was i was so wrapped up in my own pride that even in the moments when people were being vulnerable and real with me unless they were offering it to me i couldn't hear it you know when they're when they're telling me how much my atti- my behavior and my attitude and my actions are hurting them. I felt shame, but shaming didn't give me any incentive to change. You know, when when I felt shamed, when I felt shamed—not ashamed—but when I felt like I was being shamed, I took it to heart, and it and it hurt. But it was just feeding that same negative thing that was making me hate myself in the first place and i suppose that's that's a tough thing and that's i guess that's part of i never really thought so f- much into it but it's part of the family aspect of like re- re- rehab centers when they bring in the family to talk with the with the addict with the counseling around it's to to recognize that 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 you know very natural response of wanting to be like you fucking asshole look what you're fucking doing to us to me to our life to our family to you know to the people you care about look what you're fucking doing while important for that person to hear a hundred percent the the addict needs to hear this the alcoholic needs to hear it but it needs to come with more information if that's all they receive then it's not going to help them they're they're not going to be receptive to negative um, input like that all that's going to do is just feed the the void that's already eating them alive but if that comes with the awareness that even with all that anger and frustration and resentment you as the person in their life who's concerned about them if, if you let them know you know yeah I'm fucking angry at you but I still love you I still I miss you I want you to come back I I miss you and I know that you're not this person that you're being right like the other part of it is it's so hard even with even with how um ingrained or, or common alcoholism and drug addiction and rehabilitation is in our, in our culture as much as it's become in the last 60, 70, 80 years, it's still difficult to talk about it without language that is judgmental sounding or if not just sounding, is just straight judgmental. And that's kind of what I mean there is coming at it with uh, placing a value on the person because of their attitude and because of their behavior that's got to be. You got to avoid that. I mean, I, I understand that's a hard thing to do, especially with the language and with emotions running high, presumably. But placing emo, you know, placing judgment on that on on the addicts, you know, saying you know I I miss you. I I want you to stop being a bad person. I want you to be good. I'm I miss, you know, you're you're being shit. Like however however it manifests, like so. I guess that's the other piece of advice is be thoughtful, you know, think about what you're going to say or do before you actually talk to the person for sure. And it, I mean, and I guess if, if you're talking about an intervention, that's different. Go, 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 go find a counselor who can do an intervention and they'll have all of this. Presumably they'll approach it more or less like what I just described. I mean, that's the best thing about, um, these kind of counseling is it's all very simple. You offer your heart, you offer them love, you let them know their support, and you you, you let them make that decision, right? I mean, the intervention is like, we're going to force you into this, basically. I mean, that's how it kind of is presented. I mean, even with an intervention, though, the addict can still balk, right? I mean, I haven't watched any of the shows on that, but it would be humorous to watch an episode of that show that's built around, you know, following the family afterwards, someone who's just like, yeah, go fuck yourselves. You know, I mean, that happens plenty. Interventions happen where the alcoholic or addict isn't ready and they're just like, Oh yeah, yeah, no problem. We'll, we'll go to the center. And then they fucking bolt, <laughs> which I, I don't know why I find that funny. It just, I, I, I guess I find it funny cause I can remember that sense, right? Like I, I had a period, I had a period after I was, when I was really falling down, like right before I went into what is hopefully my my final rehabilitation center after I'd I'd driven drunk with my children in the car and been arrested and manipulated my way out of jail early, early in the morning by convincing my girlfriend at the time to, to bail me out. I found my way back to my, where I was living and uh, my parents' house, I should say, because there was alcohol there and I, I, I needed to get drunk, right? It was like six in the morning and I was not going to fucking deal with these emotions. And I, I sat and I, I drank and I, I don't remember what the fuck I did. I mean, obviously I was drunk at six in the morning, but at some point my my father-in-law showed up, a very, um, uh, imposing gentleman, very, very wonderful human. But, you know, he was there sent by my, my, um, you know, my, my wife at the time, you know, <laughs> that's a funny thing to say, my girlfriend at the time, my wife at the time, my, my estranged wife or my separated wife, uh, she sent him over to sit on my neck, right? Like basically you know he showed up and he's like hey i'm here to keep you from drinking while we figure out what we're gonna do and and i remember him being there and you know he was like six five or something he's considerably stronger than me and larger than me and i i was on the phone i think with my wife or whatever how do you say that with my my soon-to-be ex-wife let's say who was yelling at me and i was yelling back at her and and you know and i was being obstinate and and my father-in-law like You know, I was obstinately going to drink of a glass of whiskey right in front of him and he took it out of my hand. And I was like, and I just, it it was a weird dance. I remember just being like, this ain't happening, right? Like, and so he was enabled to, or he was capable of stopping and standing in front of me when I went to the fridge and standing in front of me when I went to go here to grab whatever, wine or whatever. And I I just kept looking at him and just like, because I'm on the phone the whole time too. And I'm just like, it's like a choreographed routine. Cause I just ticked down the line of where the liquor was in the house. And, and eventually he realized that he didn't know he hadn't seen me for a minute. Right. Like I think he thought I'd gone into the bathroom, but instead I'd gone out to the garage cause I knew there was a bunch of liquor out there. And, and when he came out there and I was chugging out of a bottle or what, I don't remember. I just remember I, was, I went in there specifically to defy him, to defy the people who were telling me that I couldn't drink anymore. And he was just shrugged his shoulders and was like, I'm done. And he left. And I you know that was a a really it was a shitty thing, you know. I felt like an asshole. Even in that moment I felt like an asshole. And um the point is that the idea that you're gonna stop someone from doing whatever they're doing, you know, even even physically restrain them from doing it. I mean, you're sort of tying them down. You're not going to do it. Um, and, you know, to, to my ex father-in-law, you know, I, 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 well, I believe I told him at some point, you know, that I appreciated the effort and, and that I was, um uh, you know obviously wrong, I mean it was it's the kind of conversation I would have with having somebody who both of you acknowledge before you even start that yeah I mean that was fucked and um and we've gone through a lot of other things since then I mean um, and yeah, I suppose he he does sit on my a um, men's list um in the way that that event happened, and I never officially did an amends for it I suppose you know um, but that's, that's that's a little program speak on top of what I'm talking about here <clears throat> um, but the other part of that I guess that that's also relevant is I, I could see in his eyes love right like he didn't if he wanted to knock me around he could have and I could see he was just he just wanted to help me and and that's i guess that 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 action of him shrugging and walking away you know that's that's the kind of um attitude i i i've that's the kind of attitude you have to have it's like he was willing to do what he could do and in that moment what he could do was go and just sit on my neck and be like hey you're not going to do this we're going to we're going to sit on you and you're going to you know i don't know what we're going to put you in a in an institution or something. I, I don't know what the end goal was there other than motherfucking Dylan is flailing someone needs to go at least curtail him from hurting himself or hurting anyone else. I mean at that point I just <sighs> got arrested for passing out at the wheel. The car wasn't moving, but you know, it's reasonable to Understand that the people in my life were like, this motherfucker is dangerous now. And even in that state, I could see love in his eyes. I could see sorrow when he walked in and saw me still, despite him being there with the, you know, the the clear objective of stopping me. That I still was just figuring out a way to go fucking drink. And him just going, "I, I can't do anything for you. And just leaving, you know that—that's the—that's the attitude you gotta have, if you're if you're thinking about someone in your life who's who's struggling. You gotta have the attitude of like, I can't do anything for you. I, I'm here to love you when you're ready to love yourself, right? Like I'm, I've been trying to avoid that that um, that little phrase, but it's the truth, right? Like all you can do is offer to love them until they love themselves, and. Part of loving the addict is letting them go and having faith that they'll come back, that they'll, that they'll bounce back, that they'll hit the, their bottom and recover, right? I mean, that's, that's about, and I guess from the other side, from the, from the side of the the addict, from the alcoholic you know. The thing that the thing, but, but something that helped keep me going. Um the the thing you know, the the reality the reality is no one's paying attention, right? Like even your closest family members, even the ones that are concerned about you and your and your loved ones no one's really paying attention to you i mean no one's running through the nonstop monologue in your head that you are right like you're the only one and um i know i'm, I'm i took advantage of the fact that i knew no one was really paying that close attention for years right that's that's how i drank cuz i was i was a i was a fake Teetotaler. I, I pretended I wasn't drinking for a few years, <sighs> and I was able to get away with that because no one was really paying attention, right? Like everyone just kind of, you, you know people people have their own lives, and you know my my family. You know, I mean, I live with my family, but they've got their own shit going on, and I'm 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 the dad, right? I'm I come in, and I'm like I'm I'm presented as solid. I I you know, I was able to maintain a pretty, you know, solid seeming outward appearance for a very long time. So you keep that going, you know, that's enough. People look, looks okay. Says he's okay. All right. You know, and at this, you know, and, and so if someone's, does start to express concern for you if someone does reach out if someone is you know if there's an intervention or feeling you know even if even if it's just a conversation with a couple friends that feels like an intervention because you're because you're sensitive and and prideful and and uh, defensive you know even at that extent right like that's part of why that starts to feel weird because this awareness that no one's really paying attention is starting to break down like this this narrative that no one is paying attention Uh, is being challenged because someone suddenly cares right like that's a it's a weird paradox because you feel like you want everyone to care you want those people in your life to care but you also don't you want them to care just enough to feed your ego and make you feel like you're a human or whatever it manifests itself as I mean that's how it felt to me like I want to I want to be acknowledged for the wonderful person that I I think that I should be and (sighs) You know, for me specifically, it was abandonment stuff. So I felt, you know, I, I want to be loved. I want to be loved. I want to be loved. But I also don't want to be challenged and, and pushed. You know, once once I was deep in my fucking drink, I didn't, I didn't want to be loved that much. I wanted to be loved as much as I wanted to be loved. I didn't want to be loved to the point where I had to face anything negative about myself, face anything that was going to be painful and difficult to to walk through, you know. I don't know, that, that's all very shallow uh, uh, interpretation of it, but but I think you understand what I'm saying. And if you're someone who is struggling or thinks you might have an issue, you know, no one's paying attention. and And frankly, you can go on for the rest of your life comfortable in the fact that no one's really paying attention that you are ultimately the only person who's going to matter in your life, right? Cause the secret is we're the only person who's going to matter in any of our lives, right? Like only, <laughs> we only have our own narrative. We only have our own brains and minds and and thoughts and, and everything, right? So as much as we can empathize and be communal Ultimately, we're the only ones who are going to have these experiences and we're the only ones who are going to pay close enough attention to be a hundred percent concerned about ourselves at any point in time, because we're the only ones at risk for it. Right. And, and that, that is a paradox because yeah, it's a, it's a way to enable your addictive behavior to, to continue. Right. You know, you can hide in it. Flip side is you can also use it as a source of strength, right? Like I know for me, uh, okay, because I was a liar, right? I I I was a fake um, teetotaler, right? Like I I, I I I started drinking in secret after a few years of just not drinking. And, you know, I became very conscious of exactly how much people were paying attention to my life. Exactly how aware they were of my weird, nuanced behaviors that I had to, you know, I I had weird secretive shit that I would do so I could get drunk. Or not even get drunk, so that I could just be drinking. Because I drank all day long. I just had shit stashed everywhere. So, that's real bad a you know drinking like that's bad if you're you're hiding alcohol it's just just i'm just gonna make a blanket statement if you're hiding alcohol it's not good you know that that people who don't have a problem with drugs and alcohol they don't hide alcohol (laughs) so um but it's bad because i was a liar right like nobody there was no reason to trust me after i you know after i after i revealed that i had been lying for years after i you know <sighs> after it was clear that i was drinking again and you know i mean i, I fell fucking down um and and when i finally did find recovery n- there was no reason to trust me right It took a couple times, A, so I went into rehab, I came out of rehab, and I used all the the right language and was outwardly doing, quote unquote, all the right things, and so when I started to drink again, because I, I hadn't really changed anything, I just was, you know, the only thing I'd done was remove alcohol and then learn some language to say to people so that they felt like so that they could feel like I was doing the right thing. Um, you know. So then when, when I, I relapsed and then did go back to rehab and something did change, part of that change included an awareness that I, I only have the same things to say. I only have the same outward behaviors to exhibit to demonstrate that I'm different, right? So that's where the paradox is, is nobody's paying any attention, right? All they can see is what what we present to them. And since I had presented to them lies, I had no expectation. I had no right to expect them to see anything but a liar. And even though inside of me, I felt different and I was like I'm not I'm not lying anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm really aware of this. I'm I'm aware of what's happening. I'm making concerted effort here. Nobody's paying attention. They're just going to look at you and say, "Yeah, you're still the fucking drunk an alcoholic or or uh, a- addict that that you were 2 months ago, 2 weeks ago, whatever the time frame." That's um, if if I was in a state where I needed that awareness from them to be validated, it wasn't going to work for me because I had built such a web of lies that I couldn't in to expect them to want anything. I couldn't expect them to see it. And so that's, that's why I keep saying nobody's paying attention, right? So nobody's paying attention except for me in my head and. I know. I know the truth. I knew the truth before, and I was choosing to lie about it, and I know the truth now, and I'm choosing to present it, and I can't have any... I'm I'm putting myself back in early recovery, but I, I can't have any expectations on the outcome. All I can do is continue to be honest with myself and keep presenting the same... You know, keep presenting myself honestly and over and have faith that over time, these people who I do care about, who I hurt and I want them to, to see that I'm different now that I'm, you know, different, they're not paying that close attention. All they're, they're just going to be watching sort of and be like, yeah, this is fucking, this is my, this is my drunk dad. This is my drunk buddy. This is my drunk spouse. You know, over time consistency and, and doing this recovery, it, it will change those attitudes towards you. Um, so, you know, that receiving end of, of the, the, let's call it tough love of like, yeah, you gotta, you know, from, you know, if somebody if you felt like feel like someone's intervening, if you feel like someone's coming to you with ultimatums or or like even just the, the psychic shock of having someone go, Hey, I think you're an alcoholic and and you know, feeling that like tinge of hurt and pain and and vulnerability and defensiveness and, and resentment and all the little things that just kind of fester when that is presented to you, you know. And walking through all that and and, and finding recovery at some point all of that is going to take flipping the script on that awareness of the fact that no one's really paying attention. Right. Cause in that moment of the intervention, you're like, fuck yourself. You don't know what's going on in me. You don't know. Right. I get that. But that same source of like, you don't know, you don't know me, you know, I guess for me, part of it was learning to flip the script on that and, 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 taking that inside of me and turning it around as like you don't fucking know me. I know me. I'm doing XYZ to get my feet underneath and you're gonna see it. And and you know, I'm I'm saying that like a superhero in a comic book or something. I don't I don't mean it like a, a prideful thing where you, you where I where I used it as like a, a a bludgeoning tool to then walk through all the people who fucking I gained resentments against and be like, see me now, motherfucker it's just it's just a source of strength, like an awareness that no one's paying attention. I'm the only one who's paying attention. I'm the only one that matters, so it's a good thing I'm the one paying attention, right? Because again, I'm the only one that matters because I'm the only one who's going to be my experiences and blah, blah, blah. I don't mean like I'm the only one that matters in the universe. <sighs> but I do, you know, it's the, a paradox, right? Like obviously everybody matters, but I'm the only one that matters in the universe because I'm the only conscious thoughts that I have right the universe only exists for me because I'm the only thing that I'm going to experience in the universe right like it's that paradox um which I I don't know I I think that's very fun to just kind of go down a rabbit hole of thought about but it's also annoying so I'll just let it go there Um, so I don't I don't know if I've adequately expressed how the receiving end of somebody reaching out you know, to, to think about that, if, if you're someone who's, who's listening right now and you, you, you do have little whispers of concern inside of yourself of like, maybe I, maybe I, maybe I am hitting this too hard. Maybe, maybe I don't have control of this. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm worse, you know, about this than I think, than I want to believe and not judgmental, but worse is in like, when I drink, I can't stop when I, I don't know. I, I feel like drugs are a little bit simpler because, yeah. Effectively, if you're using drugs at all, it's probably not good. So, um, addictive drugs, I guess, I, I don't know. I, marijuana is a weird in-between thing, right? Like I, I don't, I don't use marijuana, but I don't, I, I feel like it's an untapped resource that even in the next couple of generations will have pharmacological benefits that today we lose sight of because of the just the, the sweeping generalization we make of it so i mean uh, so future 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 listeners you know using thc pills as an escape in the way that people are using opioid pills as an escape today that's not good using them in an effective prescribed you know rational manner it's probably no different in the future of than just using prescribed medication accurately, whatever. If you're using drugs as an escape, if you're using alcohol as an escape, you know it, even if you're not willing to look at it. It's deep down inside you. And if you're in that state and and somebody does reach out to you, you know, hear them, feel their love, you know, listen to the kindness behind whatever anger and emotions may actually, may also be there, may be tainting things. Hopefully, if somebody comes to you, it's with love anyway, but even if it's somebody who's fed up and yelling, hear them, right? Anger is a mask for fear and vulnerability. So if someone's angry, it's because they, well, you know, somebody... you. A loved one is angry. It's because they love you. And take that little nugget, sit with it. You know, in the middle of the night when you're shivering and you're trying to fucking rationalize your your life, remember, you know, you you are loved. You you are you are the little shining light inside you that you don't remember even being maybe you know that void it isn't you that void is a void and there's no fate right as much as there's I'm (laughs) as much as I'm not a free will person I'm not a fatalist you can choose a different path you can take baby steps you know, one one breath at a time. Our lives are led one breath at a time. And, yeah, you can you can choose a path that takes you away from the void. And even though it looks like it's decades of journey in front of you, you know, that, that adage, you know, you, you still got to take that first step to get on the thousand mile path or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> I love that I don't even know how to, to say what I just accept as just an understood. You know, quote. <sighs> Listen to the people who love you, even if you can't, even if you can't, um. Accept it. Right in the moment. Take it inside, and 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 again back to the people who, who may be worried about loved ones or people they care about offer your heart and have faith that they're going to hear that little nugget and they're going to hold it there. And it, it it may actually help them, you know, even if in the moment, even if it's years down the line, it may take for, for what seems forever. If you, if you offer your heart and your love, it'll be received. You know, that's, I guess that's the bottom line in all of that, you know, Have your own boundaries. Offer a little love. And if you're on the receiving end, be willing to let your boundaries down, even if it's just inside, even if it's just socked away in a corner until you can can face it. Take it in. Because all of this is about, you know, living our best lives, right? Like... We only get one time around, you know, no matter how many fantasies we have about multiple lives and karma and all that stuff. I mean, I, I don't fucking know. I do know that this consciousness that I'm walking around with right now, that's all I get. And I only get it once. And that's the same for any of you listening, right? Like, we only get one time. And so, hopefully we're, we're trying to make the best of it. And, uh, yeah, I guess I thought that would be shorter, um, but I've been talking way too long. Um, I, you know, like I say, my heart goes out to anybody who's struggling and, and especially those who are, who are trying to make, you know, make better choices, right? Like lead themselves down that, you know, down that thousand mile path one step at a time. I love you, and you are worth it, and uh, if you're trying to help somebody, just tell them that same thing, I guess, Um, but yeah, really appreciate, uh, appreciate anybody who's listening this long in, I mean, I appreciate anybody, but they won't hear it if if they haven't listened this far in, so whatever, Uh, and if, uh, if you liked what I... What I said, or if you if you, you want to reach out, please do. Uh, I'm on Facebook, and you can contact me through the contact us link on the Eavesdrop Podcast when Network. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I really, I hope, I hope somebody hears a l- some of these words and it helps them. I really do, and, uh, and I hope the rest of you, including that person have a great rest of your day thanks again for listening I'll wake up when I'm sober which will probably